Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn fall on your knees oh hear the angel traditional version um maybe because i love it so much and i'm very picky mm-hmm. yeah um, me too 
What's your favorite? Okay, so I have thoughts about this. Shock, I know. Uh, so, so this song is um, the the music or the the um, yeah the music behind this is it's a it's a very difficult song to sing. I think any singer will oh, tell I you. Try. <laughs> I think any singer. I mean, Erin. Um, I you know she she was she was worried. She's got a beautiful voice, and she was worried about singing the song yeah. for us. And so it's it's it is not. She she was so funny. She was like, "Why don't you just play Celine Dion and like just you know it'll be good." Um. So I do but, not like Celine Dion, and I don't like her version of this. Is that your favorite? <laughs> Are you about to say it? No, no, it's not my favorite. I so so here. So my thing is. Is, is Oh Holy Night is very hard to sing. And I, and it's, and it has in a certain, um, you can, if you put it in the way it was written, um, it is every time I say written, I, my tech, my, my Texas comes out. Yeah. Like I don't sound Texas until I say that word. It's really like I hear myself say it and I cringe inside. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, um, if, if it's played as it was originally intended or sung as it was originally intended, it's very hard to sing. It's a really high, it's a really high note, high notes. Um, and I think sometimes really good singers that have the ability to sing the song overdo it to prove that they can sing the song. I'm not saying that's every singer's motivation, but that's how it comes yeah. across. And so I think sometimes the song, actually a lot of times I think the song is overdone. And so the way I like it is I like when really good singers sing it, but sing a toned down version of it um, and don't go to the full stratosphere that they could go to, which knocks out, which this is all going to be heretical and people are going to be mad. It's fine. I don't, that knocks out Celine Dion, that knocks out Whitney Houston, that knocks out um, Mariah Carey. Hers is so bad. Like it's, it's like the Mariah show. It's like, yes. Stop. Yes, and, like, and like we like the national anthem, and you're like, okay, like you're just except you're for Whitney, this. except for Whitney Houston's version of the national anthem is the best, but that's a story for another time. Yes, but, but like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's, I've it's, like prove themselves, and you're like, shut up. The only person that I allow to do that is Pavarotti, <laughs> and he has full clout to be able to sing it how he wants to as an Italian tenor. So I am fine with it. Are we anthem or are we talking about oh holy night oh holy night okay so Pavar- pavarotti's version is the only one that i'm okay with it being in like another stratosphere but he's in another stratosphere so i allow it i will i will allow it <laughs> like anybody cares about my allowing of who can sing oh holy night um so that leads me to i really like uh john legend's version because okay. he it's just him and a piano and John Legend has the chops to be able to overdo it. And he does not. He, it is, you can, you can hear it. You can hear him restraining himself, which I appreciate. I like Nicole Norderman's version. She's a Christian singer. She also has a beautiful voice, but it's just her and a piano. So you're sensing a theme here. Um, I love, I love the Indigo's ver- Indigo Girls version of it. Fantastic. Because they have big voices too. Very toned down, just them and the guitar. So I know... I know this song is big, so I like it when people have to intentionally restrain themselves to sing it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Those are my favorite versions. So I was noticing when I, because I don't like know a lot about music enough to say like what vocal range somebody's in or anything, but I was like listening to it kind of critically and I realized it's, you have to be able to sing really deeply and also pretty high. And like, I think that's what it is that's so hard. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, but I think I love when it's like super deep and like a low timber, like yes, my favorite version. So even though I'm not a huge Josh Groban, I mean, he's very talented. I just, I don't love that. That's not your thing. Yeah. Uh But that song, that always brings tears to my eyes when I hear him sing it. Yeah. He's, Um, he sings it beautifully. I will agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I can't do the Mariah Carey one. I can't do the, I I don't know. It's just like, I, 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 I'm sensing a theme with myself. I think I've said every single week that like, I like to hear these songs sung by not singers, by like regular people. And I think maybe that's what it is. It's like my expectation for these Christmas songs that yeah, know, so deeply like embedded in like all of our memories and our psyches. Like I want to hear them sung by people, like just yeah. regular people. Like, I don't want it to be a vocal performance. Um, 
Uh-huh. I agree. Strobin, which is like the, the way vocal performance, but like, I don't know. I just, I either want it like super dramatic or like super simple. Like, I got, I don't know. I don't know. The song is so good. Like, it's like one of my favorite songs of all time. So I feel like I'm really picky. I will say my favorite, like non-traditional version is Tracy Chapman. Um, okay. I don't know if I've ever heard her version. I'll have to listen to it. It's really beautiful. And like, she just, I just love her voice so much. And it's, Me too. Um, it's just really like, it's just really sweet and beautiful and like soulful without being, um, showy i don't know it's it's very beautiful that's the way i feel about john legend's version because he's got such a soulful voice but it's it's not showy um and i really appreciate it um i as new ones that have come out this year specifically david crowder's version for um for passion's christmas album for this year is fantastic um so I, he, you know, and he's got kind of a low gravelly voice too. Um, he has a one, I don't remember the woman, um, that sings with them. She's on there too. And she's got more of the, the, the soprano voice, but it's still restrained. It's beautiful. Their version is beautiful. And the, the, the music video for it, um, is actually beautiful too. Cause it's very simple. So, um, I highly recommend that version if you're wanting something like, if you're wanting something newer, um, and Maverick city, I don't know if you've ever listened to Maverick city. They're a worship band that, um, very, they're like, their whole thing is diversity and they sing a ton of, they have a ton of people. So like one of their songs will have like 20 singers on it, but it's not a chorus. It's hard to explain. I forget what it's called. Is it called tribal worship? I think it's a, it's a style. I think it's a style. Somebody who's much more musically in the know than me, but it's a new style of worship called tribal music. And what it is, is it's like a room full of people that are all singing the same song, but they're doing different renditions of it at the same time. It's hard to explain, but it's Maverick city music is one of my new favorite worship, um, collect. I think they're considered a collective cause they're not a band, you know? Um, but they, um, they're fantastic. And their are holy night version is very good too, because it's all these different versions, um, or all these different people singing it, which I really appreciate too. So it's almost like, it's almost like a choir, but not, um, polished like a choir. It's unpolished. It's very good. So that would be my other recommendation. I was trying to find, actually the best person ever to sing the song was probably Johnny Cash. So I was trying to find if there was a version uh-huh. Talk about low gravelly voices. I can't find one. Yeah. Um, but I will keep looking because I feel like he would have done justice in the way. Yeah. That yeah. I yeah. I was trying to think. I mean, you know, Nat King Cole, Bing Crosby, all of them have sung it. Um, so, um, yeah, it's very, oh, Harry Connick Jr. is probably a good one. I just saw him on my Spotify. I don't know if I know his version, um, but I bet you his is good. Yeah. I keep saying. Lauren Daigle and Martina McBride. I like both their versions too. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Lauren Daigle's amazing. You know, so it's like very pretty when she sings it. Um, and Martina McBride well, and pretty awesome. La- Lauren Daigle has a gravelly voice too. So yeah. Um, yeah, and hers is on the lower side for a woman. So um, yeah, no, that's those are all good versions. I agree with all of those. Okay, so tell you told me I would be very surprised by the origins of the song. And so I didn't look anything up because I wanted okay. to surprise authentically. So <laughs> do you want me to tell, so do you want me to tell you the history of it or do we want to talk about why we love it first? Which would you rather do? Um, I guess we should say why we love it. So that we yes. clouded by the history. Why do you? Okay. Um, so I, I actually didn't really know the history of it, but the reason why I like it ties into the history of it. Um, I think I love it because, um, I love the, the, the lyrics and I don't know which verse to see, but do not come prepared. You have, do you have the lyrics pulled up? Um, the, the ones where, uh, it's, I think it's the third verse, um, where, where it talks about the chains breaking, which verse is that? And why am I not remembering the words? Cause I've lost my brain. Um, Christmas lost my brain. Um, I think it's third. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, um, 
one, two, three, four, four, five. It's actually the fifth verse, but because like most hymns, we sing, we sing one, two, and then usually five and six, and we skip three and four, or we do one, two, and three. So anyways, it's the, we typically sing it as the third verse, but I actually think as it was written, it was the fifth verse. Um, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chain shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name, all oppression shall, shall cease. And I think, um, I think that's why I like the song so much. I think, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of Christmas hymns, are um, about, you know, the angels singing and the shepherds being in awe and the nativity, which are all the mystery of the nativity, all of that. And that's obviously fantastic. I love, you know, Silent Night. We've talked about it. You know, I love all these songs, but there's something about this song that conveys the reason why Jesus came that I think I love it so much. So it like encapsulates. So so we're singing it on Christmas Eve. uh, you know, about the night of Jesus's birth. And there's like a foreshadowing in the song that I think I love, you know, um, so that, you know, the first verse, you know, obviously a holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior, Savior's birth. So there's talking that, but then like later in that verse, it talks about a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Um, I just, this idea that just divinity stepping in to darkness and this song that I think I love so much too. Why do you love it? Uh, everything you just said. Uh-huh. And I don't have anything to add. That's my favorite part. I think for me, like it just reminds me of my coming to faith. Um, like uh-huh. If you think of it, like, you know, Jesus is born in our lives at a different time for all of us. Right. Like we, yeah all experience the birth of Christ personally in, in yep. a way. And um, like for me, just coming from a place of having been in such darkness with so many things in my life before I knew God and then having gone through darkness with God, you know, like um, I, I think of my battles with like OCD and postpartum depression and like um, hating my body and just all these things that, you know, all of my little times that I needed a savior to come into my weakness. And, um, and then before that with a lot of stuff, but like, I just think this song reminds me of that. Like, cause it's yeah. easy once you've gotten past something to just sort of not forget about it, but you just, you don't think about, you know, your struggles. But when I hear this song, I remember what Jesus has done for me. And it just, it brings tears to my eyes, no matter how many times I listen to it, because he did break my chains and he is breaking my chains. And it reminds me that like, we're all enslaved, right? Like, I mean, like nobody you meet is not enslaved to something that they don't need the mercy and the grace of God to pull them out of. And so I just think this song, like it encompasses Christmas for me. It encompasses like why we celebrate Christmas. And I think it's so beautiful. Um, And I know that feeling as we all do of, of really, needing a savior, like knowing you need someone to save you. And that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, so one of my favorite prophecies, um, Old Testament prophecies of Jesus is in Isaiah 61. And then that happens to be the first sermon Jesus, is pre- Jesus preaches when he enters into his ministry. Um, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So like right after Jesus enters into his ministry, he preaches that. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, our uh, One of our pastors today um, at church, because I was just at our the third Sunday of Advent service, um, Ashley um, preached on this um, sermon, which was interesting because I was planning on talking about it today when we were talking um, about this song. But she said, you know, after Jesus preached this um, sermon, there wasn't this, amen, preach it. You know, they like threw him out of town after he preached the sermon because it was so antithetical to what they expected the Messiah to be. And that were, those were the first like public words out of his mouth was um, that he had come to set the captive free, to bind up the brokenhearted. Um, and that was not what they were expecting. And I think that's the mystery in this song too, is um, this idea. Um, I just love the line of his law is love and his gospel is peace. And that was revolutionary 
to the Jews because when if they would have talked about the law, they would have not talked about the love in the law, even though God did bring the law out of love. Um, we One of our um, Jesse tree ornaments for this week was the Ten Commandments, and we do the Ann Boskamp version, and she talks about that, and she calls it the law of love too. And like, got out of out of love the law was born but it had become a thing that was a slave and a captive to the the people and and jesus came to like break them from that and then so this song talks about the law of love and the gospel of peace um but that was earth shattering to them because that's not where Mm -hmm. their minds were and so i think that's um the power in this song um and i actually you know i i i we only sing the first second and fifth um um, or fourth um, uh, verse, but I actually really like um, the one before truly he taught us to love one another. The one before that is he knows our need to our weakness, no stranger. Behold your king before him lowly bed, before your king before him lowly bed. And this idea, he, he knows our need and to our weakness, no stranger. Just like the just the humanity, I think, of Jesus we see in this, like how he comes into our humanity. Um, and that is the, I mean, that's Emmanuel. We talked about it. And I, that's, I guess that's our name for Jesus, this Advent, is, you know, God with us in his presence. Um, and that he meets us where we need him um, is, is why this song is so powerful too, I think. Well, it's kind of like a song. It's about the dirty work. It's about, yes, like, and and that's just, like when we really reflect on like the way Jesus was born and, you know, and there's, you know, nobody knows for sure. Like, was he actually in a stable? Like we know he was in a manger, but we're like, we don't know. We have this like sort of romanticized yeah. view of that. Like, look at the baby Jesus in a barn, but like, that's gross. Like he was born surrounded by poop and like animals. I mean, think about it. Like it really yeah. is disgusting. And it's like, yeah. But it makes you think like Jesus enters into our crap and he enters into our grossness and there's nothing we have to hide from him. And there's, and like, yeah. so I think like that's the real beauty of Christmas is that like, you don't have to be cleaned up and polished. Like he literally entered the world. He could have entered the world any way he wanted and he chose to enter into our crap literally. Like, and so I don't know. I just, I feel like, I feel like this song just really encompasses the truth of Christmas and the the meaning of Christmas more than any, to me, more than any other song that we sing this season. I agree. I agree. So let's go into the history of it because it has a very okay. interesting history. Um, you'll be, a, I think everybody will be a little surprised to hear about it. So um, it was um, written in France. So Holy Night. So it was first sung in French. So go listen to our French version of it. It's, it's beautiful. Oh, um, but, so. French. I know, isn't it? Isn't it though? Yeah, um, I agree with that. Um, so it was. So it was written in France in 1847. Um, there, oh. it's not that old now. So um, in 1847, and I'm going to butcher the French name, but his name was Pl- Placide Capot de Rocamar. That was his name. That was not good French, but he was actually a ca- what written written (laughs) Um, he was the commissioner of wines in a small french town but he was also known for his poetry so Mm -hmm. this man he was he was not um um, you know he was not a clergyman he was a commissioner of wines and um and he was a poet and he was asked by the parish priest in this small town to pen a poem for the Christmas mass that year. Um, and what's interesting, and this will come into play a little bit later in the history of the song, is this man um, was not a churchgoer. And even later, um, after he's written, wrote the song, he, um, he professed to be an atheist. So he was actually not a he not a Christian when he wrote the song, which is interesting given the words um, yeah. the, of the song. But he was um, honored to be asked to share his talents with the church. So he, um, you know, one day he was on, he had been asked and he was commissioned to do this and he was just, you know, riding, you know, in a coach down um, a dusty trail and, um, and started thinking about the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem and about that night. Um, and he was traveling from this small town in France to Paris. And by the time he got to Paris, he had um, completed Cantique de Noël, which is the French version of O Holy Night. Um, and he was he was so moved by the poem that he decided to um, 
make it into a song. So it was supposed to be just a poem that he wrote to be, um, to be said at Christmas mass that year, but he decided he was so enthralled with it that it needed to be in a musician's hands. So he, um, turned to one of his friends, Adolphe Charles Adams, which I'm sure there's a French way to say his name, but that's how I'm going to say it in English, <laughs> that he asked him for help and he commissioned him to put it to music. And so that's the music we have today is from Adolphe. And um, he was he was a very like bright new um, musician in the Paris Conservatory. Um, he was famous for ballets and orchestras that he traveled the world because of it. He's Jewish. So his ancestry is Jewish. So the man who wrote the music is Jewish and the man who wrote the poem was an atheist. Um, And he, he was, even though he didn't, he doesn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. When he read um, the, the poem from uh, Placide, he was so moved by it. He decided to say yes. um, And both his work and the work of the poet, um, it was so beautiful that the parish priests um, performed it um, at midnight mass three weeks later after they wrote it. Um, and it was originally accepted by the church in France um, and all the Catholic Christmas services. It was used for years and years. Um, but then Placide became a more outspoken atheist um, and started um, going towards the socialist movement. This is when the socialist movement starts coming into play and he gets much more involved politically. And then given that Adolphe, Adolphe Adams was a Jew, um, a, lot of, um, a lot of the churches, the French Catholic Church just um, started not using it anymore because they didn't feel that it was genuine or whatever because mm-hmm. the the man who wrote it was an outspoken socialist atheist and the um, man who wrote the music was a Jew. So um, they tried to bury the song. They tried to, they just got rid of it. It didn't, they tried to get it to not. So at this point it was only being sung in France and they tried to get rid of it. Um, but um, there was an American writer. Um, his name was John Sullivan Dwight, and he lived in Paris at the time. And I guess somehow, I don't, I don't know how the story goes, but somehow he heard it at a church um, it being sung. And he was so moved by it because he was an ardent abolitionist. So mm-hmm. the verse that we were talking about, about the slave as our brother and um, the all oppression shall cease. Like he really was moved by that verse. And as an ardent abolitionist, he decided to take it um, back to America. Um, And this is where we're at the time of the civil war now. Um, So he's a, he's a pastor in the North and he brings it, it brings it back to America. And it became like um, a, almost like a battle cry for the North um, during the civil war was a song. Um, it was sung all over the North in churches um, as a way to kind of spread the message of abolitionism. So, um, but it was still being banned in churches in Europe. So it was being sung in the North in America, but it was being banned. Um, but then this is a legend. Who knows if this is really true? Um, but there was, there's a legend that on Christmas Eve in 1871, so it's like 30, 30, five years later after it was written, that there was a battle going on. So this is pre-War War I, but, you know, Germany and France had been embattled for years and years and years before it culminates in War I and War II. Um, they were in the middle of uh, fierce fighting over, you know, a land between France and um, Germany. Um, and then they, just like kind of when we were talking about Silent Night last week, they, they called a truce for Christmas Eve. Um, and I guess... Um, one this Christmas Eve night in 1871, the French men start singing Cantique de Noël, and somehow the German infantry men um, knew the song in German, even though it had been so. Somehow it 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 had moved its way around, even though the church tried to ban it, and it moved its way enough through Europe that it was already like the Germans were able to sing it. Um, and then the the story goes that you know the fighting stops for the next 24 hours um, for Christmas Day. Um, and so because of that, the French church started embracing it again. So it started being bright because of, of this, of it being sung on the battlefield. Um, so, yeah. Um, and so, and then the story continues that um, after Adams had been dead for a lot of years um, and Capot, who wrote the, the poem, and Dwight, who brought it over to America, were old. Um, 
And on Christmas Eve in 1906, a man named Reginald Fessenden, he was a 33-year-old and he was, um, he worked with Thomas Edison. So he was, you know, a famous chemist and engineer. Um, and he, for the very first time, um, um, spoke on a radio. So the first words spoken, because, you know, Thomas Edison and him and this whole crew of engineers um, who, who created the radio. So the first time in 1906 that a radio broadcast happened in America was um, was on Christmas Eve. And um, he 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 read the words from scripture and it came to pass in those days that there were there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed and he continued he had like a real big booming radio voice so that's why he was chosen among Edison's people to do this and he so he read the the Christmas message from scripture and then after that um someone sang oh holy night so um that was the first broadcasted song and words spoken on radio in America and that's why it rose to like immediately rose to fame um, after that because it you know became much more of a popular song at that point. So that's where it ended today. Um, you know that's so it, it, still a lot of churches though even in America especially in the South um, would not sing the song for a long time or if they did they wouldn't sing that the verse that we love and know so well um, that we sing as the third verse because um, I'm assuming it was convicting. <laughs> But that's kind of the the story. I just think it's so interesting that a song that we were just talking about as being um, one of the most beautiful um, ways of describing what Christmas is was written by someone who didn't believe in mm-hmm. what he was saying. But somehow, you know, the spirit works in mysterious ways, right? <laughs> he wrote this song through him. Um, and it just was a, it's a reminder to me as I read this story that um, art comes from all kinds of places. And that's why I'm so convicted about, I mean, obviously there is church music and there is secular music. Like I understand that, but it's also, it's such a, a reminder to me that we don't, that there, there can be spirit in secular um, and that there can be, we can see Jesus um, and we can see God's handiwork and all creative and artistic pursuits, even if they aren't specifically done for the church. Um, and so, because God, God can use, you know, it's, it's the doctrine of, um, you know, grace, that there's specific grace, and then there's general grace, and there's much more technical terms that I won't bore everybody with. But, you know, there's, there's doctrine and theology about this generalized grace that's given to all people. You know, it's, it's why, you know, in scripture it talks about the, the, the rains fall on all lands, not just certain lands. You know, it's, it's that picture of, um, of general grace given to everyone and that God can create beauty and music and art that points to him, even if it's done through people who don't believe him. Um, I don't know. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it makes you think like, like if somebody's an atheist, which I was mm-hmm. for a long time, like. A lot of times, I mean, not always, but a lot of times for somebody to come to that conclusion, they've been seeking because you don't just like argue for anything if, what am I trying to say? Like, I wonder if he wanted that to be true. Mm. And you know what I mean? Like thought about how much he wanted that to be true. Like, it makes me think of a writer who, like, writes romance novels but doesn't have a good romance in their life. or You know what I mean? Like, it's like maybe he mm-hmm. wrote it out of the void of what he wanted but couldn't believe in. I don't know. I don't want to. And I almost wonder if it was slightly an indictment on the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, he, he, he knew G- what Jesus' message was and what the gospel really meant. And maybe he wasn't seeing that. Yeah. Um, you know, about the oppression and the love and, and the gospel of peace and the law of love. Like maybe he wasn't seeing that, but he felt like that was really Jesus's message, but his reasons for leaving the church and, and for pursuing atheism and socialism wasn't, and I'm not equating that all socialists are atheists, by the way, this is not a political statement. Um, but, but maybe his reasons for pursuing those things was because he wasn't seeing what he believed was the true message of the church in the church. And, and maybe it was almost um, an indictment in a way or a, a hope in a way that he, he wished the church 
would um, follow the true message of Jesus. Um, at least, I think that's it. I don't know if that's true. I, I'm taking artistic yeah. license here, but um, I'm imagining what could be true. Um, anyways, it's interesting. Yeah. But I would say Christians and non-Christians alike love this song. I mean, it's played everywhere. Um, you know, there people of all walks of life sing this song, um, all, different musicians. It is known for being very lyrically and musically um, beautiful and outstanding. And um, everybody wants to sing it. Everybody wants to, um, you know, I kind of put it in the same category as Ave Maria. Like there's just a, um, there's a holiness about it, I think, that people respect the song, whether they believe the words or not. Um, there's just a respect for it, a healthy respect for it. And, you know, lots of musicians are weary to sing it um, because of, of butchering it. <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to butcher such a beautiful song. So, Any other thoughts? Well, I'm going to be thinking a lot about um, just how, I don't know. I'm going to be thinking a lot about like who wrote that and, and just how interesting that, is. I don't know. Like it's a lot to think about, I guess, and process, but I still love it. It's still my favorite I, song. I think um, that if any year needs this song, it's this year. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a unity in this song that when we sing it together as a church, that um, we can all come to an agreement on certain things when we're singing it. Um, you know, that's the, kind of the point of public worship and communal worship, right? Is that we're agreeing on things together um, and saying them back to God together. And um, and I think there's just such a deep division, even in our churches right now, um, about how to handle an, uh, you know, a pandemic and how to handle politics on how, how to handle social justice. Um, and, but I, I think that everybody, most people can agree that the words of the song are true. We just disagree on how to go about those things. Um, but I hope that, you know, as we sing this on um, Christmas Eve, we can just, um, you know, have a moment like of truth. Uh, you know, that's kind of what my prayer is, is that Christmas Eve this year, when we sing some of these songs will be a moment of truth, truth within the church. Um, because it's, 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 it's getting ugly out there, y'all. So, yay, happy, happy, joy, joy, <laughs> which is funny because today is the third of the moment we're recording this. This is going to come out in a couple of days, but we're recording this this week um, is, is the third week of Advent and it's the candle we light is joy. And I was thinking about it this morning. What? what? Really? That's the pink one. Okay. Yeah, it's the pink one. Yeah, the pink one, um, the rose-colored one, if you will. Um, there's like this week is supposed to be a kind of like a, a slight brightness in the darkness. Like we're not really to the rejoicing of Christmas yet, but this is just like a peak of it is supposed to be this week. And I was thinking about it like I, I feel like joy is elusive this year um in some ways or at least it can be if we think about it on the surface. But then that goes back to like the difference between joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, happiness comes comes about when our expectations are met in the way that we want them to be met, that, we, that we're happy. Um, but joy can still be um, experienced even in the midst of unmet expectations. Um, and joy, I feel like, is more of a choice versus happiness being, a, you know, a victim of our circumstances. <laughs> like, it, it, you know, and so, um, you know, it, it may not feel like there's a lot of happiness right now, but I feel like there can be joy. Um, and like, I have really challenged myself this week to like find the joy. Cause I think it's hidden and it's there somewhere and God wants us to look for it. This is not a prophetic message for me. This is just for me, but I, I feel like God wants me to look for it, but it's kind of hidden and there's a lot of darkness and it's in the shadow somewhere, but I don't know where it is. Um, but like, I need to have eyes to see. Um, and that's kind of my prayer for this week is that I'd have eyes to see um, the joy where it's hard to be found. So I feel like it's hidden in plain sight. Yeah. You like think? It, I think so. I think. Yeah. Least, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I won't bore everybody with like the long rambling sermon from Rebecca Cochran, but I think. It's well, like, I just gave a long rambling sermon. You're welcome. JJ. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I think. I think joy is. 
I don't think we have to seek it. I think we have to remove the things that are in the way. And I think that um, Mm, 2020 has done that in many ways. Um, And I think in the places that we feel raw and unanchored and like we're flailing, I'm not saying like lean into it because it's like nobody wants to lean into those feelings. But at the same time, like ask God what, what is in that place because I think joy is on the other side mm. of those feelings. And I think, um, and I don't think they're supposed to be fixed. And no. I've tried to fix them, you know, with all of my little coping skills that are no longer working. But I think that, I think joy is in those places that we feel yeah. unmoored and unshaped. And I also think in some ways, like, I mean, you know, I kind of have deep problems with technology and social media, but I think a lot of joy we're so desensitized. Like mm. we really do need a break from all that stuff. And I know it's like, I know everybody says that all the time and it's kind of like a broken record, but we do because I think a lot of times we're, we're not made like we're, if we're made in the image of God, the great creator who made heaven and earth, like we need to be more tuned into heaven and earth versus technology. And I think that I really am convicted that the more we are on these devices and the more that is shaping our worldview, like by God's grace, we're not going to experience deep joy because if he allowed us to experience deep joy when we're completely distracted all the time, then that wouldn't be loving. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think we have to like really get grounded in like the world and the people around us and real life. And it doesn't mean technology is bad. It just means that like, like our pastor always says, you know, a river within its boundaries is good, but it's destructive when it gets out. And I think that's something I've seen just in me and in a lot of people I know is like, since COVID, we're all increasingly on screens, you know, it's like, we're, we're searching for connection and we're searching for distraction or whatever, but I'm really convicted that like, we just can't it's not going to be found there. And like, if we fill ourselves with that, like we're not going to experience God's real joy. And that's, that's to his credit and love, because if it wouldn't be right, you know, like if he allowed us to experience that, like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I'm not saying like withholding joy. Mm -hmm. That's not it. I'm saying that like, there's just an order of things. And I don't think that things can be found. It's like you reap what you sow, I guess is what I'm saying. And it's not that God's like, you're on your phone too much. So I'm going to withhold joy from you. It's like, we literally can't see it anymore because mm-hmm. we're distracted. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree with that. I don't think that's wrong. So that's what I, I think. <laughs> so I'm trying to be on my phone. Like, it's so hard. It's so hard, but okay. um, I've just been really convicted about that lately. So. Okay, so what is bringing you joy right now if we're going to talk about joy? Like real joy is, I always find it in connection. And um, it's not, I'm finding like, you know, I tend to try to like make, you know, okay, so like specifically Christmas, like I'm trying to make all these experiences for my kids. Like we're going to Callaway Gardens next week. It's going to be super fun and beautiful, but like the most joy I find is when I'm like brushing Penny's hair and she says something funny and we have a moment of connection or like, yeah, Chris and I tried to go on a date last night. It was kind of a fail because COVID and and stuff, but like, but I had so much joy. Like we ended up not eating dinner. And so it was like 10 o'clock at night and we we're starving. And I was like, okay, we just have to go to like a drive-thru. So we're like eating Wendy's in our car. And it was just so joyful. Cause it was like, we have not done this. And like, year, yeah. you know, like when's the last time you eat Wendy's in your car? Cause like you were, you know, it's like, that's something that it was such, I don't know. It's like those moments that I can't script and, and just like God, like we can't script him. We can't rehearse him. He shows up when he wants to. And to me, that's joy. It's like, you, you just have to be open to it and you have to be present to it. And I think that's why I get so, why I'm so concerned about my own phone usage. I don't mean to project that on everybody. Maybe you're very healthy in this area, but like, I'm not present to anything if I'm constantly scrolling, scrolling. So like, to me, joy is found when I'm actually present and I don't have to do much to make it happen. It'll just show up. All I have to do is remove the scales and remove everything that's in the way. What about you? Um, yeah, I would say, I would say connections, a good, a good one for me too. Um, you know, 
I have I have a deep and a not so deep one, but like the the deep the deep one is that you know I feel like it's very difficult, right? I think you have to be you've oh we've always had to be intentional about connection, but I think even now more so because like the the normal ways of connection aren't happening. And so we have to like we have to like carve those out in a way that we haven't had to before. So I would definitely say when I'm able to to carve out time with others um, that in a safe way, but in a way that still brings joy, um, I, I find it there for sure. Um, and then my other one's a more surface one. Ted Lasso is bringing me joy. <laughs> And, and I mean, like, I, I feel like there's a lot of TV out there that, that like helps us to, um, to like ignore real life or it helps to bring color to real life. And I'm not, I'm not denying any of those things. Um, there's really good TV out there. Um, I, I think Ted Lasso is probably my favorite show of the year if I was going to qualify 2020. Um, and that's because like literally it brings joy, like, um, in a way that I've never had a show do before. Um, and there's just something about his character, Ted's character, and it's played by Jason Sudeikis. And it is like, at first you're like, oh, he's cheesy. And then you realize it's like genuinely joyful effusiveness that is happening even in the midst. Like he has some hard things happening in his life and, it, and he still exudes joy um, in a way. And it's so, it's, it's so creative and well-crafted because it's up a, you know, he's, he's coming in as an American football coach who's, who has been called to take over this, um, premier league, um, what we would call soccer football league in, um, England. And so all the other actors in the, um, in the show are British. It's set in, in London. And so you've got like kind of the, the harsh snarkiness of British humor against just pure unbridled joy. And to me, it was such a picture of 2020. There's just something about the character development in the show. So I'm going to like keep preaching Ted Lasso until people like all watch it and I'm not going to stop. So you're just going to be annoyed with me until I tell you. (laughs) And I'm going to warn you because I did not know. I thought season two was already out. So I like went super fast through season one because I was ready to get to season two and season two is not out yet. So take it more slowly than I did. Like, I think I might go rewatch it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's only 10 episodes and they're only 30 minutes. So they're not like hour long episodes. So it's a, it's amazing. And so he, Ted Lasso has brought me joy. Jason Sudeikis has brought me joy the past week. So that's my little like side piece, if you will. Mm-hmm. That's I'll give that to you for free. <laughs> Cause the I rest have, of this wasn't for free. Thing that is a shout, not like a deep thing. That's bringing me joy. I have, I'm on strike and I'm not cooking until Christmas day. Well, there you go. And it's making me so happy because it occurred to me, because for those of you that don't know, I'm a chef by trade. Like this is what, and so I have this like extra layer of like, I should be cooking dinner every night, like a really great dinner, really healthy dinner, like all these things. And like, I just, I got to a point last week where I was like, you know what? Like nobody cares. No one cares if I make dinner. Like really, there's, we have the Oak Grove market up the street and they get like, you know, it's like basically like homemade food I can go pick up and, you know, we've got Stouffer's and we have takeout. I was like, I'm just not going to, because I was trying, it was like, I was trying to make these cookies that were kind of a pain in the butt, but I really wanted to make them. And it was like the thought of having to make dinner filled me with this existential dread that I'm not familiar with because I love to cook. And so that's why this is really hard. Cause I was like, do I not like to cook anymore? And I was like, no, I'm too busy. And like, I, something has to go for like a couple weeks and it's going to be cooking dinner. And I feel like it's making me so happy. And then I was like, and ever since then I've been putting all these other like random little boundaries in place of just like being like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Like one of them's like, I don't have to wear makeup. I don't want to wear makeup because I, I don't want to do 10 minutes of that. That's fine. And like, if I don't want to, well, I'm trying to make myself work out even if I don't feel like it, but like there's just little <laughs> things that I've been like feeling like I have to do like X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I'm, I'm realizing I'm trying to take a critical look and see what I don't have to do. And like, no one cares. And in fact, I made like this stupid Stouffer's meal and my kids were like, this is the best thing you've ever made. And I was like, shut up. Dang it. Like, <laughs> but um, that's, I'm sure that's a word you wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But so I think, um, you know, having, because whenever I think of boundaries, I think of my boundaries with other people, but most of my trouble with boundaries is with myself, like my expectations on me and what I'm supposed to do or not do. And like, so I think 
me getting my boundaries together is giving me a lot of joy. Um, and particularly in the space of cooking and making dinner. Welcome to the um, feeling of existential thread the rest of us have, dread that the rest of us have every day we have to cook dinner. So. I have thought about plenty other house <laughs> mother tasks, but not usually dinner. <laughs> it's like the one thing I actually really like to do, but yep. like laundry, kill me. Well, if I ever make it, someone is doing my laundry for me and putting it away. If I ever make it. <laughs> when I make it big, oh, when I make it big, I'm hiring a chef. 100%. I'm going to hire you. <laughs> One day when I'm super rich, oh, I don't know what's going to make me super rich, but you know, I don't know. One so day. Our podcast. Speaking of which, you guys, um, so just real quick, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. We're actually about to have to make some changes for the new year because we just, um, and we'll talk about that more next week, but we are in a place where uh, we need your support more than ever. So we ask that you would prayerfully consider if this show has, you know, it gives you something, if you learn, if you grow, if you feel like you get something out of it enough to tune in every week, then we would ask that you consider supporting us. Five bucks a month is um, what we're asking. And um, you can find the links in our show notes for that. And we'll talk about it. Yep. But okay, dokie. Okay, dokie. A holy night. And we get to have a fun night tonight. Company Christmas party. Company Christmas party. It's me and Rebecca stuffing our faces with pasta. That's <laughs> kind of Christmas party. <laughs> you know what's awesome about that? The first time I met you, we stuffed our faces with pasta. And it's like, it's just a tradition. I forgot. We did, didn't we? What did I make? Spaghetti and meatballs. And it was amazing. Spaghetti and meatballs and kale salad. Mm, so good. And I never met you before. <laughs> and then I loved your spaghetti. And that... <laughs> <laughs> the way and the, the way you entered my heart was through my stomach. <laughs> Me too, so it's fine. Apparently my children at Stover's, but you know. It's fine, whatever. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. This is not fine. Not fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, okay. this is our last episode. We won't have an episode next week. So Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. And um, we will see you for our New Year's episode. Woohoo! Exchange is coming. Listen in. So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye. <laughs>